Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, May 12th, we are studying Acts chapter 7, verse 44 through chapter 8, verse 3. Stephen concludes his sermon, but it falls upon hardened hearts as the Sanhedrin makes Stephen the first martyr of the young Christian church. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Chris Hull. Pastor Hull serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Hull, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Oh, Brother Apple, that you continue having me back shows that our God is merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Thank you, Brother. God be praised for his mercy. Indeed. indeed. Pastor Hull, we are in the end of Acts chapter 7, beginning of chapter 8 this morning. What's the context we need to remember as we look at this text today? I mean, this is the Acts of the Apostles. St. Luke's other letter, right? He wrote the Gospel according to St. Luke for Theophilus. He's writing this. This is the continuation of the life of the church. And I've always uh, pointed people to that, those words of Christ before they read this book. Remember, Jesus says, no servant is greater than his master. Thus, they treated me so they will treat you. And then we see it lived out here in the Acts of the Apostles. The baptismal life is not uh, peaches and cream. It's not a rose garden. It is a struggle. Well, look at John 16, 16 to 22, our gospel reading from this past Sunday. The reality of the baptismal life is like a woman grieving and pressured in labor. And that is the reality of the struggle we have here. And you see that coming forth here now with Stephen, who's been elected to be a deacon serving the church. He desires to love his neighbor, love the Lord, and he preaches the truth of God's word. And what does man say in response? Well, kind of like Luther used to say, when you preach, they'll either hate themselves or hate you. Mm. And the Sanhedrin, the people, they hated him instead. So Stephen got to be with the Lord a little quicker. Mm. So we've got the end of Stephen's sermon this morning, as, as you said, we, we've already said what the ending's going to be. We, we know that, what's coming. What's he been preaching? How is he leading up into this grand climax that we get to hear today? Well, he's, he's walking through the narrative of God's people. He's walking through the reality of how God has been with his people. And then you bring it to who, who Jesus is. And it's lovely. He doesn't really try to preach something brand new. Almost all of the text is about the Exodus and the reality of God bringing his people out of this. And then you have him continuing in verse 44 with, you know, our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness just as he spoke to Moses. You know, God is speaking now through this one, through Jesus the Christ, as he will eventually get to. Mm. And you betrayed him. You're the ones that did it. So, kind of similar to Peter's Pentecost sermon. You know, y'all are the ones that did this. Our sin did this. And that creates one of two reactions. You either hear that and you hate yourself and go and you have that contrition. You repent and you cling to the mercy of God for forgiveness. Or you go, I didn't do that. That's not me. I have nothing to repent about. 
and you continue thinking your anger produces the righteousness that God requires, which as we remember from St. James, <laughs> that's never the case. Yeah, we we saw the the first reaction that you mentioned that happened on the day of Pentecost to the majority of the people who were there that they were cut to the heart. They asked Peter, "What should we do? Repent and be baptized." And we've seen the apostles preach to the Sanhedrin before, as you said. They they really always come to that 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 point that you did this to Jesus. God raised him up. Stephen's going to come to that point too. In the previous encounters where the Sanhedrin has been the audience for the preaching. They've kind of floundered. They haven't really known exactly what to do. They ha- they have. I think they know what they want to do, but it's not mm-hmm. going to be until this moment with Stephen that they actually carry it out in, in what seems to be just a, an over their rage <laughs> overcomes them, and they they start picking up the stones and they begin to throw them at Stephen. As you said, he's been in his sermon rehearsing the history of God's interaction with his people, and a, a good chunk of it does focus on the Exodus event. The conclusion today really focuses on the temple and where God right. dwells among his people, which when you go back to their accusations against Stephen, that was one of the big problems they had with him. They said that he's he's blaspheming the temple. Now, Stephen's going to say, well, no, not really. Uh, you guys have always had a problem with the temple. And and by the way, there was a tabernacle for a long time before the temple anyways. And, and now here's Jesus. He's the one you need to believe. So it really is bringing these things to a conclusion here. Exactly. And this is this is really still what gets Christians in trouble. Hmm. Where is God? Where is he located for you? And that's what we have to preach, no matter what happens, that God is located here, has located himself here. The church didn't locate God here. He put himself here, water, bread, wine, the word and each other's words of absolution and forgiveness that's where he's located and that's where you seek solace respite and nourishment when you're outside of that or hardened against it then you don't have god (laughs) you don't have christ you may think you do and that's i i still tell people i say there's a big difference between being a christian and a cultural christian it's easy to be a cultural christian or even let's say Lutheran, since that's the majority of our listeners, right? It's easy to be a cultural Lutheran to say, what does it mean to be Lutheran? Well, you put your name on the bottom of your casserole dish and you like drinking coffee and eating donuts and singing climb every mountain before you leave church. And, you know, you can trace your heritage back to either Germany, Norway, Sweden, maybe Denmark, but we're, that's a big maybe. And there's a difference between that and one who pounds the chest saying, God, cover me in your righteousness, for I am the only sinner that exists. Mm. Mm. Big difference between the two. And Stephen is the second of those. Mm. Well, and, and those to whom he's preaching, he, he's revealing to them that they are the the first, the former group that they. Right. And this is this has been the message of the prophets all along is that the and I'm, Jeremiah particularly comes to mind. Now, the mm-hmm. people were placing their confidence. Hey, look, the temple's in Jerusalem. We're good. And then they mm-hmm. could, they thought they could do whatever they want. And and here again, that's the same problem. The people are saying, you're speaking against the temple, Stephen, but they failed to recognize that God has now located himself in Jesus. And because of Jesus, then it's not about this building anymore, but it is about putting your faith in him and in him alone as the one who has fulfilled what the temple was there all along for, which was the the shedding of blood to cover sins that's been done. It's been finished in Jesus. And, and that all, all of that combined 
is what's going to get the Sanhedrin really riled up to the point that they're ready to kill Stephen. So any more introductory yes. comments before we jump into the text? No, and not really. I think okay. jumping into the text is good because the text is, is what we're here for. All right. So we're going to finish Stephen's sermon. We're picking up in Acts 7, verse 44. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. That takes us through verse 53. Luke's going to interrupt for a moment there. So we'll pause there. Pastor Hull, again, take us through this last part of this sermon that Stephen is preaching. He's talking about where God dwells. He starts with the tabernacle. it's like he's saying to them, it sure took a while for God to actually build the temple, this temple that you're so upset that I, you say I'm blaspheming. Yeah. Well, and you have the tabernacle with Moses. You have it all the way up until Solomon. This, is, this isn't just a, a decade. This isn't a, a generation. This is hundreds of years. And, and this reality, what you value so much is not what God values. And there's really, I would say, even a, a modern example of this is like when we had our, our, the COVID shutdowns a couple years ago, when everybody was not in the church and everybody just wanted to be back in the building doing the worship. Now, I knew why I wanted to, the reasonings. And I would ask people who were zealous to be back in worship, why? Hmm. Just give me why you want to do it. I'm not saying it's wrong to want to, but I need to know why. And I would say 80% is it's just what we've always done. We've always done it that way. There was no theological answer for it. Now, there were theologians that had theological answers for it, but most people it was not because of our incarnational theology and our sacramental way of doing worship. (laughs) It was because they like going to church, sitting in the pew, being around people, having the coffee and donuts, doing these certain things. And it's a God. It's an idol. I once said we've made the divine service and the church herself into an idol because we've forgotten who her husband is. You can be great in the temple. You can love going to church every single Sunday, but if you're not going for the right reason, it's just idolatry. Hmm. And we see how God deals with idolaters. The golden calf, Moses burns it and says, now drink it. Drink the bitterness of what you've done. 
And then, but then it doesn't stop there. That's when the Levites get created through the blood of their fathers and brothers. We have to always be cautious that we don't turn God's gift of assembling in a building together, receiving the gifts into God himself, into a God itself. Mm. And that's a very fine line to draw, right? Because of our incarnational theology. This is where God has decided to hand himself over for us. And the Sanhedrin, the Israelites lost that way. This isn't where God comes to meet us. They've now made that temple into a God itself. Mm. It is a fine. Or maybe I'm too harsh on them. Well, I, I think you're right that it is a fine line to draw because uh, Stephen's mm-hmm. words here and the quote he offers from the prophet Isaiah here don't don't say that the temple as a building was somehow bad in and of itself. That they've misused right. the temple, but the temple as God gave it served an important purpose to the point that if you went to worship God somewhere else. The Lord came down on you pretty hard. I mean, the high places were not looked upon favorably by the prophets. You, you didn't get to no. go to the high place and worship Yahweh there. You needed to go to the temple. So it's not like the, the temple was unimportant. It was very important. But there is that line, as, as you're talking about, where you forget the promise that God has attached and you just make it all about that visible thing. And this is where, so it is a fine line to draw. And I, I think, I think Luther helps us find where that line is. You, you've been talking about the incarnational theology. I think maybe the, the sacramental theology that Luther yeah. gives us in the small catechism is helpful when he speaks both in, in terms of holy baptism and the sacrament of the altar. You know, he asks that question, how can water do such great things? Or how can, how can bodily yeah. eating and drinking do such great things? And, and he, he draws the line where the promise is. When you've right. got the promise of God, then the water does these great things and the eating and drinking does these great things. When you have the promise and you put faith in that promise, then that water and eating and drinking are wonderful and they do these fantastic things that the word describes. But if you just have the eating and drinking or you just have the water and you forget the promise, then you've crossed over that line and made something that was good into an idol. I think that's what you're trying to get at, or at least that's where I'm, I'm taking it. Well, no, that's exactly it. I remember I, when I was a younger man, um, I would serve a church up in Michigan, Salem Lutheran Church in Sturgis, Michigan. And they had about 14 saints that would gather, that would assemble by the Holy Spirit to worship every Sunday. And all their church was, they had a basement where there was a bathroom and it was a concrete basement. And when you walk into the church building, it is literally, you are in the nave. There's no narthex. You are in the nave, and there's the sanctuary, and that is it. And the only other property they had was a cemetery. And they would say, we wish we had a narthex. We wish we had a parish. And I said, oh, God. I said, why? I said, that's, that's where the devil puts his foot in. I said, because there people can talk more. I said, in these spots, this is where God talks and you respond. But the further you get from these places, the more you start talking. And that never ends well, unless it's the word of God on your lips. When we look at the means of grace, baptism, the Lord's Supper, gospel preached, absolution and the mutual consolation of the brethren. These can be done anywhere. The two greatest baptisms so far in the texts all the way up to Acts is uh, Jesus's and the eunuchs 
And one's done in a river and the other one's done when they just see some water. Hmm. So we have made an idol into these things, but we also don't want to jump the other way and say, well, now I'm going to go, I'm going to start worshiping by rivers. I'm going to do this. You've now made it an idol again, too. That stuff is not what matters. What matters is the word attached to that element, the word attached to water, bread, wine, the word that flows from the mouth of the pastor and from your fellow saints. That's what matters. And when you lose sight of that, that's where God's presence is. Then you've made something into another means of salvation. Now, you won't say that. No Lutheran would say that, but that's how you act. That's how you treat it. And, and that's where the problems come in. When someone corrects you, what's your reaction? Pick up a stone and shut them up. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you're, you're ruining my good time. You're ruining my buzz. And I don't want that. I want to keep doing what I do. And, and pastors and parishioners are both guilty of this. And that's why Stephen's sermon is so helpful. It's like, no, where God is present, Christ is present in his word, that's, that's where you cling. <laughs> and uh, I tell you, some of the best sermons I've ever preached were not from the pulpit, but were by the side of the dying in the hospital bed, um, are in the middle of a living room uh, after someone's loved one has died, or e- even running into a parishioner in the supermarket and speaking to them because they, they finally have the guard down a little bit and can hear. So not disregarding what we do on Sundays, but as Luther said in the catechism, that that's the bare minimum you do to be with God. If you make that the all in all, then you have a little growing still to do. In verses 51 and through 53, he really brings everything that he's been saying home to the particular people in front of them. And he doesn't mince any words. He calls them stiff necked uncircumcised in heart and ears, <laughs> resisting the Holy Spirit, oh. falling right in line with what their fathers did. How, how does Stephen really bring the accusation home there in that part of the sermon? Well, it's a, it, as your fathers did, so do you. Your fathers who killed the prophets, your fathers who killed Jer, all of them are now doing the same thing. They killed Jesus, and now you're trying to kill me. Um, you're doing the same things. Remember, uh, Jesus says this in John, you know, you are of your father, the devil. You do what he does. And it's the same thing every generation. It's nothing new. And I love my favorite part of this is you always resist the Holy Spirit. Hmm. I love in the small called articles, you know, because Lutheran, not every Lutheran, but most of us, we, we treat conversion. They say it's like a gift. You can't, ex- we, we can't say we can accept it, but we can reject it. Hmm. That's always the language. I remember growing up, I was always taught that because I don't want to be like my Baptists down the road that have to make a decision for Jesus, right? We're, we're not that. You can't make this choice, but you can choose to reject it. And then I remember reading Luther's small called articles on repentance and sin. And Luther critiques the scholastics, the Roman Catholic Church, when he says man does not have the ability to either choose or accept it. The reality is by sin, he just rejects it. But that amplifies the mercy of God. You are never saved because you did something. Even your faith is pure gift and a, a reality of God's mercy for you. When you talk to God, you should never ever use first person pronouns. 
when when you say why you're saved, I did something, I have faith, I have this. No, it's always third person. Jesus did it for me. Jesus forgives me. Jesus covers me. Jesus does this. So you always resist the Holy Spirit is even warning to us that, hey, even if you're a lifelong Lutheran, a member of the herdsman ushering team that's never missed a Sunday, you still can do some damage. But take heart. You aren't saved because you you did a bang up job and a good job. You're you're saved from sin, death, world and the devil because Christ did it. It's always about Christ. You always have to end with that. And the world hates that. It went, yeah, that question as to why are you saved, the subject pronouns should be third person. He did this. Jesus did this. Right. But then you can use the first person pronouns in the object for me. Right. That's that's right. where you that's where you and I belong is in the object. It's for me. Right. Man, you're so gospelly, brother Apple. I tell you. Well, I was just I heard you St. Louis guys are that way. I'm just trying to be that. grammatical there, but the grammar matters. <laughs> see, it does, right? That yeah. who pair him own, right? On behalf of us. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, I always teach my confirmands that. I'd say from that Greek phrase, who pair him own, on behalf of, of you, on behalf of us. That's why he did all this. If you get that, if you can get that through your thick skull, you are good to go. On behalf of you, for you, Jesus did all this. And you, but we have to be reminded of that every day. And the, we have to hear it every day because sometimes the old Adam is, has some good memory problems. So with that, with that in mind that the old Adam has some memory problems, is that what Stephen is up to here? Because in terms of the, as we speak about them as Lutherans, law and gospel, Stephen is preaching law here. I mean, we're, we're talking <laughs> about the for you of the gospel that Jesus did these things for you. Stephen hasn't been that explicit. What, what is he doing coming down? I mean, I thought the gospel was supposed to predominate pastor hall. Well, so, it's the audience too, right? It's to whom are you preaching? Um, one must not preach the law to the terrified conscience. And one must not preach the gospel to smug hypocrites. And that's the reality when you read scripture, dividing law and gospel is not just what is being spoken, but who's listening, who's hearing it, who are the, what is the intended audience? Um, we assume we equate it right away with like our Sunday morning is, well, everybody's here in church. And I've made the point to many people, I only preach to tax collectors, not to Pharisees, because if I were to preach to Pharisees, there's not going to be any gospel there just law the woe to you scribes and pharisees from from what is it matthew 24 23 23 23 you know that's what you get but that's not who i preach to on sunday morning i preach to the tax collector in the back pew hanging her head down and crying because she feels god doesn't love her and you who abuse that gospel well i pray for you i pray for you because i'm not licensing you to go out and send more for that woman in the back hanging her head wants to send no more. And she needs to hear that Christ has done this for her. But Stephen's not preaching to that woman here. He's preaching to the ones that have, that have a bag of stones and they already have their coats being watched by some guy in the corner and they're ready to go. And he's like, well, buckle up buttercup. I'm going to tell you why, when you stone me, it's on you. When, when you do this, that, that, that God does not love those who do this. When you drive, and this happens in churches all that I was talking with an individual the other day. He's not a member of, of our church. Our boys are on a swim team. Well, my daughter is too now. 
And uh, he knows I'm a minister, so we were talking. And he went off on why he doesn't like organized religion. And I'm like, okay, I just want to enjoy my day. And he goes through all of these stories of how family members were mistreated by the church. You know, um, an uncle that was kicked out because he baptized black babies. Um, you know, another guy fired because he got divorced, all these things. And, and I said, yeah, I said, you know, the Christian church actually isn't that big. And he looks at me, he's like, what do you mean? It's huge. I said, no, it's not. I, I said, there's a lot of churches. There's a lot of stuff. But when it's easy for me to go to church and be a Christian, in fact, I can get a tax break for it. There aren't that many Christians around. You've dealt with a cultural movement. And I agree with you. I hate organized cultural religion. But actual followers of Christ, tax collectors who pound their chest and desire only to hear mercy, that is few and far between. And I said, and that person has not offended you. In fact, you have offended God by assuming that's the church, those who have done this wrong. So when we look at Stephen preaching here, he's preaching to the ones that have no mercy, that that are heartless hardened have their ears plugged saying no i'm not going to listen you're not offending me buddy (laughs) i mean i know where i'm going i'm on jesus's shoulders being carried unto eternity if you believe it too let's start acting like it and rejoice together but if you want to continue being like the world then have at me and jesus will smile i say it to people all the time the devil hates your guts but jesus smiles with delight and that's for the baptized for the the ones who have been claimed by christ and even as Stephen preaches this law in all of its severity, he does so in the hopes that those who listen will repent. This is this yeah. is the hammer that breaks that hard heart. It's the only hammer that will break this hard heart. So it does need to be preached, not yeah. not to the goal of condemning, but ultimately to the goal of repentance. Now, we know that doesn't happen here, but that is the goal of, of Stephen's preaching of the law. Well, that's always the preaching of the law, right? Even to the one who is terrified, the one who is back there sorrowful. You preach the law to say, hey, you have reason to be sorrowful. You have reason to be contrite. And that's good. The law reveal, well, we sing in our hymn, right? The law reveals the guilt of sin and leaves us conscience stricken. But, but then the gospel enters in the sinful soul to quicken. Hmm. And that reality. So how the law is preached to the Pharisee and tax collector is not different meaning you preach some different type of law but with the pharisee it's pure hey i'm not going to stop preaching this until you repent hmm. i'm not going to stop until you actually and it's not a, i'm sorry i always tell people repentance is not sorry but repentance is i have i have nothing to show for myself christ is everything for me hmm. and that's what you get here with stephen is i love like the the and they killed the one who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. And are, are we going to get to that? We're, we're going to get to the rest of what happens on the other side of the break. So let's go ahead and take that break, Pastor Hull. You're listening to we go. Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Acts 7 and 8 with Pastor Chris Hull. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, May 12th. We're studying Acts chapter 7, verse 44 through chapter 8, verse 3 with Pastor Chris Hull. He serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Hull, prior to the break, we looked at the remainder of Stephen's sermon. The people are going to hear and react in the way that we've been talking about. Luke picks up the narrative for us again in verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering the house and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That's, the rest oh. of That's a, a, a rough ending, Pastor Hall. I like it. No, it's good. It's so good. You know, uh, tell me you why. You were going to ask a question. No, go I'll ahead. You, man, man, okay, Backstreet Boys, I'll tell you why. Um, sorry, do you get that reference? I do get that reference. Hey, that's good. It's not a movie reference. It's a musical reference. That's right. So there you go. I, I, I listened you. to, you know, I grew. I was in the 90s and the early I know, 1000s, we were, so I, I heard we were those 90s. songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was always a Backstreet Boy, you know, Allison. My wife was more of an NSYNC gal, so, but, um, you know, it's just kind of, she shakes her head at me when I say that. She's like, no, I like both. Well, you know. But no, I love what I love that is Saul has mentioned so many times in this. I love that. That's the beauty of Christianity is we don't hide our, our dirty past. Mm. It's not like all of a sudden Paul comes on the scene. He's this great guy. It's like the genealogy of Jesus. You have Rahab in there. You have um, Tamar in there. You have the wife of Uriah in there. You know, you have the Moabites. So it's like, well, how did they come about? Oh, we go back to, to um, Lot and his daughters. You don't hide the transgression. Saul wasn't a great guy. He killed Christians. I mean, he may not have stabbed them himself, but he went into their houses and and handed them over. It's not like God chose him. Jesus chose him because he was zealous for the truth of the gospel. He rescued Saul. And that's the reality is every time we are claimed by Christ, it's not because he chooses the best of the best. It's not like the karate tournament. Well, you've probably never seen that movie, Best of the Best. Sorry. 
karate tournament. Well, it's a karate tournament where it's the U.S. team against the South Korean team, and they have this big karate tournament, and they choose the five best fighters, you know, and the five best fighters get to represent their country and fight. That's not Christianity. You didn't win a tournament here and now get to do this. No, you, you, you're in last place. You don't place at all, and Christ rescues you, and that's what he's done with Saul here. And the same as he did with Stephen, he rescued Stephen, brought him unto himself in paradise. That is one of the marvelous things about this text is that Stephen, as he does play a very prominent role in these two chapters of the book of Acts. But then, of course, with his martyrdom, he he's no longer a part of the narrative, but it does mm. serve to introduce one of the main characters, Saul, later known as Paul. And <coughs> and when you meet him, he's the bad guy. Very clearly, yeah. he's in the wrong. He's the one persecuting. And it's only going to get worse before he is converted, before the Lord Jesus comes to him in Acts chapter nine and and he becomes a central player in that but it, it's total i mean this is talk about salvation by grace and the book of mm-hmm. acts you know what is the book of acts about it's it, you've got the acts of the apostles no doubt but it really is a history of people being saved by grace and saul introduced here in this text is going to be perhaps the prime example of that in the book well exactly and that's i was um I, I did a podcast with a, a Pastor Harrison Goodman a few weeks ago for Higher Things. It's this driving to school. Po- I don't mean to compete with this one. You know, I don't want like, oh, God, no competing podcast. Um, but we were talking. I, what I do with him is history. And I, I described history as the reality of how Christ interacts with his people. All of history goes to and flows from Jesus, his life, sufferings, death and resurrection. It all is that and that's what you see here in the acts of the apostles is this isn't just the biographies of peter and paul and stephen and philip it is the reality of christ working with his creation so with his people we're not deists who believe god is some you know god is watching us from a distance with bet midler you know christ is with you right here and that's the beautiful part about this that grace and mercy Now, we, we skipped right over the actual stoning of Stephen to talk a little bit about Saul. So I don't want to make sure we, we get to talk about Stephen because there is quite a bit here. Again, oh, yeah. Stephen has, has finished his sermon or he's almost at the end of his sermon. It's almost like Luke interrupts briefly in verse 54 to give you this is how they're receiving the word. They're they're hearing it. They're grinding their teeth at him. You can see that on their faces before mm. Stephen gives his final grand climax in verse 56. I see Jesus, the son of man, standing at the right hand of God. And that's really what tips the scales when he says that that's when they really if they weren't holding a stone already, that's when they oh, began they to pick him up. Well, because that's what got Jesus, right, with with Caiaphas is, you know, uh, you will see the son of man descending. What more do you need to hear? He's a blasphemer. And now you have the same with Stephen. We preach the same thing. And I think that's the fun part is when people ask you, who is who who do you model yourself after as a preacher? Well, well, Christ, Hmm. He, he is the preacher. Yes, you have John the Baptist, you have Luther, you have Walther, um, you have Gerhard, you have, uh, who was the golden tongue? Was that Chrysostom? Chrysostom, yes. Chrysostom, right. You have all these guys, yes, but Jesus, he, he is the preacher. And Stephen is preaching after his Lord. He listened to him. That's how he preaches. Everyone preaches in the same manner as Jesus. 
It's you, you preach as Jesus does to show people who Jesus is. That's have you, have you seen that in some pulpits? What is it? John? Oh, what is the verse? Which says, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Yes. Yes. That's in you know, John chapter 12, the, the Greeks who right. come during the Passover and they, I think they come Philip, to Philip. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Philip. And I love that in some pulpits, it'll be right at the top, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Well, show them then. And Stephen does that. He shows them Jesus, even though you've had these, you know, o- over 50 verses of law of you did this. It's like, Hey, but this is the guy you get to meet when you just die. When you die to trying to live on your own, you you see Christ for who he is, the son of man who has died and is risen for you and who ushers you unto the ages of ages. So there is the gospel there. And I don't know if you can go so far as to say is, is Stephen preaches the gospel in his death. By his blood, the gospel is preached. Well, I mean, to to you and to me and those who believe what Stephen preaches in verse 56 is gospel, that the the crucified yeah. and risen one is reigning at God's right hand, just as he promised. And, and you brought up, this is the way Jesus speaks to the Sanhedrin in his own trial. Stephen echoes those words of Jesus. And, and even Jesus then provides a fulfillment of what he says to the Sanhedrin. He says, you'll see this. And, and here yeah. it's being preached to them. But, yeah. but the, the awful wonder, I guess if I can say it that way, is that they don't believe. I suppose mm-hmm. we're not surprised. No. But they don't believe. And, and that word of gospel becomes uh, an entire word of law. Like, is that, that's in Revelation 1, I think, where those who, mm-hmm. who pierced him, they will see him and they'll wail. And that's yeah. the reaction you see here. Because it's not yet the last day, they're able to do their worst to Stephen, though, and, and he feels the blow of the stones. Exactly. And I, it's... When you look at and then how does Stephen even respond in the same way Christ did on the cross? Hmm. You know, hold this not against them. Forgive them for doing this. Well, I could see his life is claimed in Christ. Uh, St. Paul, what, Galatians 2.20, is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. We speak like Jesus does. We talk like Jesus does. We act like Jesus does. That's how we, we Christians are recognized. Well, John 13, 34, 35, hmm. by this they will know you are my disciples. You have love for each other. That love overflows. What was First uh, Peter uh, 2? When, when he was reviled, he reviled not in return. That is who we are. <laughs> we imitate our good shepherd. And it's a joyful life. Um, that Sunday's coming up for you, right? You three-year guy, you get a good shepherd soon, don't you? That's right. That's right. For, yeah. and, and when this airs, it will be the Sunday that just passed, May That's 8th. correct, yes. yes. I had it a couple Sundays ago. Um, us one-year guys are always a little further ahead of y'all. It's okay, though. You'll catch up. Well, but, we uh, both get to celebrate the good news that Jesus is the good shepherd. I, I wonder what which one they use in heaven. I, I bet it's like a combination of the two just to irritate everybody. So... It'll be a fun time. Well, I can't the, wait. Revelation 7 speaks of the, the lamb who was slain being the shepherd. So, I mean, yeah. I think every every day is Good Shepherd Sunday in heaven. I like it. I like it. I like it. That's that's going to be nice. Yeah, you know? that's right. It's going to be good stuff. Right. It's going to be good. You, man, I should read Revelation more. I tell you. But, <laughs> but that's what but we're no, reading the free lectionary right now is, is I know. I know you are. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, and I'm just kidding with everybody. I've read it a couple times. So, so hopefully it's, it's fun. <laughs> well, let, let's no, talk. I, Let's let's oh, talk ahead. more about 
about Stephen's reaction and the way that he receives the stoning, because I do think that that is, is very significant. And as you said, he starts to show forth the life of his own Lord. He's been doing that all along. And even in death now, he follows Jesus. I mean, talk about, you know, Jesus said, those who are his disciples will pick up their cross and follow him. Uh, Stephen's doing that to to a T. Yeah. And of course, it's it's by the work of the Holy Spirit in him. It's not by anything Stephen is doing. But it is a remarkable thing to see someone just follow in the Lord's footsteps all the way even into death. Why, which are, is Article 21 of the Augsburg Confession, right, on the cult of the saints mm. and, and the three three gifts we have meditating on us that are then a little flesh, fleshed out more in the apology, you know, and I love the one that is, I mean, you have the examples of uh, thanksgiving for the life of the saints, examples of God's mercy, faith. And then you have that imitation and vocation. You know, if you're a guardian, you imitate St. Joseph. If you're a mother, St. Mary. And with Stephen here, it's almost like, well, just the Christian. If you're a Christian, you imitate Stephen. When life is pressuring you, when the world hates you, leap for joy, like it says in the account of the Beatitudes in Luke. Leap for joy with it. Rejoice in it. Don't, don't get mad. Don't fight back. Don't get be vengeful. Rejoice. Because you, this, is a, this is not your eternal place. Uh, St. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5, the tent that is our earthly body. And, and this reality, this body will be resurrected on the last day, but the way it is right now is not how it's meant to be unto eternity. Um, you know, the, the things that decay will not decay. There is a greater place we are going. And Stephen knew that. And when we recognize that, then we can receive any stone thrown at us with the joy of knowing I am gifted just to pray that they be forgiven for doing it to me. Hmm. Hmm. Well, with that prayer, you see, again, the intention of Stephen all along was not to condemn them to hell, but his whole point hmm. was to proclaim the good news of who Jesus was so that they might be forgiven. And, and he prays for that even in his death, knowing that these men who live after him, they have the chance still to repent, to hear that word yet again and to receive it in repentance. And, you know, the Lord answers that prayer. I've never really thought about this, but you've got Saul mentioned here. He's one of the ones Stephen is praying for. And the right. Lord hears that prayer for, on behalf of Saul and he answers it and he doesn't. He forgives that sin of, of Saul. Exactly. And that's why we pray for, for all evildoers. We pray for those outside of the church. We pray for those who persecute us. We, we, um, you do that every Sunday, every day of the week. Hmm. And why? Because God is merciful. <laughs> He's slow to anger. And his mercies are new every morning. When we are faithless, he is faithful. This, this reality of who God is for us is displayed right here in Stephen's prayer, which then flows into the life of Saul. One of the things that stands out at the end of chapter seven is that after Stephen prays, Luke records him dying, but he puts it this way. He fell asleep. Stephen fell mm -hmm. asleep is the way he records his death. Now, of the many different ways that there are to die, stoning is very violent. It's not mm -hmm. a pleasant way to die. And I think if, if you were to poll people, how would you like to die? Stoning is not going to be high up on anyone's list. <laughs> no, no. And, and yet, 
And yet St. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, records that very death as falling asleep. What is yeah. the significance of, of the And this isn't the only place that the scriptures speak of a, the death of the Christian in this way, but no. it really stands out in terms of the violent death that he meets here. Yet it's still called falling asleep. What's the significance of the of scripture speaking like the death of the Christian in this manner? Well, because sleep, we, we know sleep to be something that ends. You wake up. And that's the reality of death is something from which we will wake up. We will be raised on the last day bodily. Death is not permanent. Death is temporary. Even no matter how you die, how violent it may be, it's still drifting off to sleep, knowing you rest waiting for the day of the Lord. And that's the (laughs) the beautiful part about it is, the world preaches something completely contrary to that, that death is to be avoided at all costs. Mm. Everything exists to avoid death. I mean, you have the, the health industry, you have insurance, you have, um, well, and I'm not saying like, oh, Pastor Hull is speaking at seatbelts, but you have seatbelts. I mean, you have all these things that we, we will avoid death at all costs. Whereas we sing as the Christian, death speeds my life's endeavor to be with Christ forever. And that is the reality of Stephen here. He falls asleep waiting for the Lord. And it's not something to be afraid of, not something to fear. Um, what's his, um, his book, Will Whedon's book, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, mm-hmm. has that beautiful part in the beginning where he talks about saying our prayers before we lay down. And even the act of laying down is like just prepping to be in our coffin. Prepping to die is every night we go to bed. We're prepping to die. So we pray into your hands. I commit my spirit. And that's what Stephen has done here. He already knows where he's going. There's no need to worry about it then. But I think you hit it on the head though. Death may not be what we fear so much, but dying is definitely, we all have certain ways. We don't want to die. You know, uh, most of us wouldn't say we, we, we don't mind dying in our sleep or, you know, maybe dying for the ones we love or something. But we definitely don't want to die certain ways. Mm-hmm. We don't want it to be long and suffering. We don't want it to be painful. And with Stephen, he dies this. And, and think of it with stones. It's not like they were hurling 40 pound stones at him. You know, they weren't Scottish Highlanders coming down with the games, throwing weights at him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It probably took them a while with these stones. They weren't big, hefty ones. It was whatever someone could throw at them. And it was painful and probably took a little time. Look at Solly. Remember, he survived being stoned. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it's a delight. Well, and it, I mean, it does go to show what a truly blessed death is. And we talk that way that we would receive a blessed end in the catechism. Luther teaches us that in the, the large or the, the Lord's Prayer. And it it's something that, as you said, we often think of it in terms of the way in which we die. And this is by no means to, to certainly we don't wish this kind of death upon anyone, this way of dying upon anyone. That's not the point. But it is to remind us what a truly blessed death is. It's not about mm-hmm. the manner in which death comes, but is it is the faith in which we face that death. And and Stephen certainly has that faith that he is able to pray before he dies, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Even in the violent manner in which he dies, he still receives a blessed death. 
And the right. Lord did take him to himself in heaven, just as he promised. Well, and, and that's, it's so interesting. You mentioned at the beginning of this session that Stephen is the first martyr of the church. And you're right, after the resurrection, right. after Christ. And in, in, in the New Testament, we have the other martyrdom of the holy innocence. Hmm. And how could we ever consider a, and this is, it, it, that's why everything is, is contrary. That's Luke's gospel is phenomenal with this, this reversals, right? The great reversals, rich, poor, hungry, you know, those who are filled, those life and death. Luke is, is prominent with the great reversals in Christ's death. We have life. When you look at the way the world views a blessed life, it's a long, long life with no problems, no suffering. Everything goes your way. How many, how many Christian bookstores are filled with books that give you advice on how to get that type of life? But what is a blessed life for the Christian? Is one for when we are here in the body, we are away from the Lord. <laughs> we desire to be with the Lord. That's the blessed life. We want to be with the Lord. We want to be where Jesus is. I want to be where Jesus is. And here now, I am with Jesus when he's with me in the means of grace, in his word. But I really would love to be there with him without any of my grotesque sin, with all this stuff dragging me down, just there with him. And it's so contrary to the way the world views things. What a blessed life is, is a life. Well, Bonhoeffer uh, makes this point in his book, Life Together. No good Christian desires to have a soft life surrounded by friends who never say anything wrong, but rather the Christian is amongst the dung and the thorns and the stones suffering as he goes through. And Bonhoeffer himself, right, dying in his early 30s, being hanged by the Nazis, a blessed life is one that suffers with Christ. Well, we just sang it this um, for Easter. Awake my heart with gladness, right by uh, Gerhard. And you have that closing stanza in which he said, oh, how does it go? I don't have my hymnal with me. Stanza seven uh, in Lutheran service yes. book goes like this. Yes. He brings yes, me to brother. the portal that leads to bliss untold, <clears throat> where on this rhyme immortal is found in script of gold. Script of gold. And I think this is the part you're referring to. Who yes. there my cross has shared, finds here a crown prepared. Who there, Who with there me for has me died. has died. Will here be glorified That's or there right. be glorified? Shall here yes. be glorified. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? And only Gerhard could write that. Why? Because he did it. He suffered that. He bore that. He, I, I can't remember. I think I called Gerhard one time the Job of the Lutheran Church. Mm -hmm. And he, he is a suffering man that has written some of the sweetest and most comforting gospel of death being transformed into what Christ has made it, a portal to life immortal. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we have now with Stephen. That's what we will get with Saul when he is beheaded. That's what you get with Peter being crucified upside down, Bartholomew being flayed. The re and, and, and Grandma Schmubelgrouper dying of Alzheimer's or Grandpa Joe dying from a heart attack, whatever it is, it speeds your life's endeavor to be with Jesus where there's no suffering. Hmm. 
you know, right now, Pastor Hall, in many Lutheran congregations, we're in what you might call is confirmation season. I know, I think you mm-hmm. shared with me that you do confirmation there in Tomball and on Reformation, but many do right. do confirmation either on Palm Sunday or sometime <laughs> in the Easter season, maybe in Pentecost. We recently had Youth Confirmation Sunday here. And among those promises that are made is that promise that we mm. would rather suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from this Christian faith, that that to die with the Christian faith, that is the blessed death, even if it does mean suffering now in this life and a violent death, that still remains the blessed death. This, is, this text is a fantastic reminder for us that that persecution that attacks us when, when Saul comes and is ready to arrest us that not even that prevents the word of God from doing what he has promised to do for us. So we got about three minutes here, Pastor Hull. Help us wrap things up. The reality of Stephen, and it's even funny as we meditate on Stephen today, when does the feast of St. Stephen fall? And it falls the day after Christmas. And why would you start the 12 joyful days of Christmas with such a bloody mess of a death? Well, it's because of what happens. Stephen, Garland, he's crowned with the righteousness of Christ that covers all of his sin. He now wears that crown without sin under the ages of ages. Stephen is our great comfort that what the flesh may value doesn't matter. What matters, what lasts unto eternity is the crown of righteousness purchased for you by the crown of thorns that Jesus bore on the cross for you. And that granted Stephen the freedom to be joyful, no matter what happened in this life. Joy that couldn't be taken away from him, no matter how much grief he suffered, no matter how much pressure he had. He was squeezed, but not squished, knocked down, but not knocked out, kept in Christ's hands that no one could snatch him out of. Even when they threw the stones, Jesus kept a tight grip on his saint. And he does the same for you, that no matter what you are going through, no matter the stones being thrown at you, Take heart, just as Stephen looked and beheld his Lord and fell asleep to await the day of the resurrection, so shall you, not on account of your good works, but rather on account of the good work that Jesus finished for you with the perpetual benefit of your forgiveness. Take heart, you're forgiven, claimed, and loved by Christ forever. Pastor Chris Hall is pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas, helping us today with Acts 7, verse 44 through chapter chapter 8, verse 3. Pastor Hall, thanks for being our guest today. Brother Apple, as always, thank you. It was my pleasure. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Acts, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.